Welcome to Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by Clear Voice Content Marketing Software, helping you decrease your time spent creating content by up to 50% while doubling your online engagement. Convince and Convert, content marketing strategy advisors and counselors to leading brands and organizations worldwide. Convince and Convert makes your content better. Oracle Marketing Cloud, helping businesses use the latest marketing technologies to tell their stories and connect with their customers. And by Uberflip, a content experience platform that allows marketers to create, manage, and optimize tailored content experiences for every stage of the buyer journey. Now, here are your hosts, Jeffrey L. Cohen, Director of Content Strategy at Oracle Marketing Cloud, and from Uberflip, Randy Frisch. Ready? Let's talk to the pros. Welcome to another episode of Content Pros. Uh, on Content Pros, Jeff Cohen from Oracle Marketing Cloud and myself, I'm Randy from Uberflip. We always try and bring on a mix of different guests. Sometimes we've got content practitioners who are deep in the weeds as content managers or VPs of marketing. Um, you know, sometimes we have you know thought leaders who spend every moment of their day on content strategy and trying to advise companies. We're going with a bit of a different approach today. I'm going to warn everyone up front. We're, we're bringing on a, a gentleman named Victor. And what's really cool about Victor is he's got a ton of experience, background, and studies in user experience. And this is something a lot of us kind of overlook when we're putting together our content. But I think you're going to find today that it's going to be a really interesting way to think a little bit behind the curtain of how our content is dressed up. Um, you know, How does it get looking as good as it's going to be to get out there for that ultimate engagement? So before we do that, Jeff, I know you've got a stat picked out for us. Thanks, Randy. Great to be here for another episode of Content Pros. And we're going to dive right in with a stat that relates to our topic for today. 38% of people will stop engaging with the website if the content or the layout is unattractive. So you, you've heard that whole don't judge a book by its cover. People are definitely judging your content and your websites by their cover. What do you think about this one, Randy? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, this is something that at my company, we live and breathe all day. You know, the the, the reality that uh, one of the things that we often say is as effective as content is, it's only optimized when you marry it with the best experience, right? If you ignore the experience, you know, that outcome really isn't that optimized. It's not enjoyable and we're quick to leave. Um, you know, there's so many different occasions Whereas marketers, we sometimes ignore what could be a good layout or what could be a good attractive experience. That's everything from, you know, the obvious one that's shoved down our throats in terms of mobile optimization. How do we make sure that you know, the content is going to work on a mobile device? But even the very basics of where we find certain aspects that we're looking forward to finding. I mean, sometimes I go to sites and I want to share one of their assets and it's amazing how long it takes me to find those widgets to share on Twitter, to share on LinkedIn, to share wherever I go to, to share my content. Similarly, sometimes we're, we're struggling to find more content. You know, where is that next recommended piece of content? Is there a suggestion at the bottom? Are those suggestions coming in line as we make our way through the content? How do you, how do you, usually think about layout of, of content, Jeff, in terms of your approach? Well, it, it's interesting because I think about this 
at the core level of content, which is trying to build a relationship with our prospects and customers, trying to establish trust. And, and this sort of, this sort of approach, this sort of communication approach of how you present the content, as, as you said, if people can't find it, if people can't share it, or in the case of a lot of B2B companies, it feels like we're in a time machine and we're going back to 1996 and they have never updated their website. And those sorts of approaches just, just don't build that trust. They don't, they don't make you, they don't give you that warm, comfortable feeling that this is a company you want to do business with. If they, if they don't quite know how to present their, their knowledge and experience, how are they going to be at serving you with their products and services? Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, it's it's about a combination of you know tried and true, and then a little bit of spice to to keep it fresh, right? I mean, you know, sometimes you know we ignore some of the obvious ways that people are going to engage in content, the obvious ways to structure an experience for consumption, um, you know, and then in other ways we get a little lazy and we just use very basic templates and we don't try and spice it up. We don't try to align the content to the brand that we have as a company. So I think it's a combination of the two kind of do the basic, you know, do the things that are tried, true and proven. Tried and proven, uh, tried, tested, and proven. I think is what I was trying to get it out. Uh, and then also make sure that you add your flavor. So maybe it's a good time as we as we start thinking about this, rather than just jumping to the endpoints. There, um, you know, to take a step back and get Victor involved uh, from the perspective of how he thinks about advising some of their clients. That's great, Randy. I, and Victor, welcome to the Content Pros Podcast today. Hey guys, thank you for having me on. So I'll I'll give you a kind of the big broad softball introduction question of we're we're talking about content, you're talking about you look at UX and research and how to fa- frame communications kind of as the this stat we talked about. So kind of at a at a basic level, where do where do you start? Where do you what are the first things you tell somebody? Tell a a a client or a prospective client, how they should start thinking about about their user experience. Well, I think that the conversation you guys started the show out was was really good, and it, it spoke to what I would love to hear my clients saying, which is, if you can't find something, it doesn't matter if it's there. If and and that's really where you have to start, which is right away, right off the bat, when someone lands on your site, when someone opens up the email, they need to understand why and how to go about doing the action you're requesting from them. So when I talk to clients, we like to recommend that a lot of what they're thinking about, they test with users through usability testing and getting their ideas out in front of people who will actually potentially be using their product or responding to their marketing campaign and saying, do you understand what I'm asking you to do? How would you go about doing task X? How would you find content related to, like we work with a lot of banks, so let's say we were going to talk about uh, this new mortgage offer. How would you find out the details of that offer from landing on the homepage here or from following this link in this marketing uh, tweet or something that you click on, uh, some kind of marketing link? So... We, we really advocate being user-focused in that sense. And then it's also 
what type of language are, are you using? Are you communicating in ways that are effective in terms of you know, might be speaking and using terminology that uh, people aren't using? Um, you know, if you're using industry jargon, but lay people are your target audience, have you converted all that terminology into what a lay person would expect? And there's no real better way of doing that than to make sure that you get that content in front of the lay folk and have them give you feedback. Yes, I understand what you're asking. Uh, I can give you an interesting example um, from a real scenario that we had. We were working with a really large university and they wanted to figure out how to create the best experience going from their homepage for somebody who was thinking about being an incoming freshman and applying for their school. Well, one of the things that we had people do was figure out if the university offered the degree program that they were interested in or not. And something we found out on more than one occasion was that incoming freshmen, people who we had specifically screened for to make sure that they fit this description of what would be potentially an incoming freshman student, they, they on multiple occasions, navigated to the graduate degree programs and when we asked them, you know, so are you going to be going to school to get a graduate degree? Their answer was yes. Well, I do want to graduate and, and have a, a degree. And so we realized that even how you're bucketing your content or how you are showing people the path to getting to content is is critical. And so, you know, with a scenario like that, rather than having vast uh, navigation categories called undergraduate and graduate and whatever continuing education, we recommended more action-based approach. So saying, having maybe, I am going to be a freshman and they click on that and it shows them all the information they would need links to the undergraduate degrees, because then you're removing, you're removing the need for somebody to translate all the definitions and find all the different locations of the content and you're saying it's an action-based thing, I am going to or I need to find out more about X. And then you have, through you know being very thoughtful and understanding what your users are trying to accomplish, curated the content that they're going to find in that area. So that's, a, that's certainly some great advice and a, a good way to think about your users, which I'll... I'll ask you a follow-up question in just a second. We realized that we we did not properly introduce you and set the context for this episode. So, Victor, you're the research director at EY Intuitive, which is a design studio that was recently acquired by Ernst & Young, the large financial company. Uh, yeah. Does that sound about right? <laughs> that does. See, I was just assuming I didn't need an introduction, so I, I guess I got a little bit of... A deflated ego there now, guys. <laughs> well, it, it, it's it's not for you. It's actually for our listeners. So we we have the right context. Um, but as as you were talking about as you were talking about users, one of the things that content marketers, content creators, especially think about is the idea of personas. Mm-hmm. And so what what has what has your research found in in the ways of basically framing your communications for the right users and and really understanding who you're trying to communicate with. Yeah, and that's something that in in user experience as well that we often will create personas 
And it's really to try to identify what types of tasks people are engaging in and you know, what stage are they at. Maybe you have a customer life cycle. What's the difference between somebody who is just entering the journey versus somebody who's been around for 30 years? And so from a content perspective, it's it, it can be vastly different what they're looking for. Um, and you can really use personas to start to identify not only what content might be most appropriate for people, but when to interject it into an experience. And so, you know, one of the things that we find is that depending on persona types, that some people are much more interested in browsing for content and others are much more interested in searching. So it's like, make sure that you have an experience that offers both. In terms of framing content, uh, one of the things that's important to do is understand what motivates people, uh, what is going to get them to pay attention and think that your offer or your product is relevant to their life. And so I'm a proponent of doing it through what, from a research perspective or an academic perspective, are often called values. What do people hold to be valuable? And uh, there's, there's no shortage of different categories you can pull from. With my dissertation research, I looked at where people um, have what's considered to be three different types of values, and that's where they're more concerned about their self, uh, called egoistical, more concerned about others or their children, future generations, and that's altruistic, and then a more universal set where people care about everything in in the where it would be you know i have i assign an equal value to uh the environment or uh, to animals as i do myself and so if you think about it from a content creation perspective communicating to people in a way that taps into these values can be really easy if you would have already identified who might have which value set or and obviously there's overlap so it's not that somebody is completely egoistical and only in it for themselves but that maybe they have higher tendencies towards that than they would being interested in something because of its impact for their children or other people so if you were to frame communication to somebody and you wanted to make them pay attention, you might say, this is how you'll save money or you'll save time versus if they were um, of the more egoistical value set versus somebody who is altruistic. You might say, you know, do this because it will help others or do this because it will save money for you to use on sending your children to college. So you want to tap into that value set. Um, and so from a content creation approach, being able to identify the personas and then say, okay, here are opportunities to create content that is framed in specific ways to tap into these uh, values that, that each persona might have is, is a good opportunity for increasing engagement. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, Victor. I, I, you know, it's, it's funny. Our, our team has started to do this um, as well in terms of how we approach content um, and to do so not just for the persona, right? Um, you know, for, at Uberflip here as an example, we have various different personas we talk to. But as you said earlier, there's, there's a journey, right? So we have different stages of the journey that we go through. Um, and at, at different stages, there's different things that someone's going to care about. 
So we have this you know, beautiful, I guess it's a table of sorts uh, that talks about the different stages, different persona, and then different attributes that we need to think about in terms of format of content mm-hmm. and different aspects around that. Um, so, you know, that definitely resonates in, in terms of everything that you're saying there. I'm wondering, though, I, I mean, you're coming to this with a lot of, of research, a lot of background, a lot of, you know, psychology, if, if you will, around the right way to do this. How, what are some of the best ways that you've seen the average company who doesn't have the benefit of a UX resource um, or doesn't have someone with the same degree of research? How do you inject some of these ideas, some of this thinking within the team that you probably already have. So for, for people who are listening to content pros saying, you know what, like I really want to, you know, to, to pull this into my organization. What are some of the, the most basic ways that you can advise people to start taking some of these approaches beyond calling E and Y? <laughs> yeah. You're not going to let me pitch our services. Okay, fine. Uh, well, I think I, see as being one of the highest value for time spent is to really engage in a conversation with people who you are wanting to have as your customers. And I think that I've heard the stat somewhere for designers, which is the population I usually work with the most, that they should be spending 20% of their time getting to know users, understanding users. And I think there's no substitute for real contact with these people. So whether it's trying to go out and do uh, what people refer to as guerrilla research and you're just you know approaching people in coffee shops and asking them to read some copy that you've created or review uh, a couple of even black and white wireframes of a template that you might be thinking about using that you can get really good feedback, but also beyond the feedback, you can start to understand the way people really think. And you realize that when we're sitting in meetings and when we're having discussions, even when we're having discussions where we're looking at data, that there's this disconnect that occurs that you can sort of feel re-engaged when you actually have a chance to interact with people who are are users or consumers of the content. And then beyond that, I think that it's really important to set the tone or set the environment, I guess, around being focused from the top down. So where I work, we have uh, principles, our principles have always said, you know, the users first, we take a user-centered approach. And as part of that, you know, we need to make sure that we find ways to incorporate the voice of the user. And, you know, I am 100% aware of that the fact that research is not always on the table. It's not always an option financially or from a time perspective. And so how do you find other ways to get information to inform your decisions. And there are a number of good books. Um, so hopefully uh, from a content perspective that there might be some books that you guys would recommend that people could read and get a feel for what it is that users or content consumers are expecting or hoping for based on different industries possibly. But then um there's a lot of academic research out there and particularly around framing communication, which was what my background was in. Um, 
but we're uh, we're in a very political time of the year. There's tons of political science research out there on on how different communication is framed, particularly around political campaigns, to get to try to motivate people to do things, and so. You can try to interject some of that as a substitute for actual research um, and, you know, utilizing the fact that there are companies or government agencies out there spending a lot of money on research. The The CDC, the Center for Disease Controls, uh, publishes quite a few different handbooks on communicating around different diseases and public health issues. And I've given presentations before on this concept called social math, which is a way of trying to take large numbers and statistics and use them to tell a story that becomes more meaningful to somebody versus, okay, 10,000 people a year are going to contract a certain disease. Well, what does that actually mean? Um, my point is that these guides can help people with creating content that is based on research that's been done with users or consumers, even if you don't have the luxury necessarily of doing it yourself. Makes a lot of sense. You know, it, it's a good transition actually to also mention one of our sponsors here, a company called Clear Voice. And, you know, we're talking a lot about you know, that process of pulling content together. And that's everything from finding, you know, freelancers down to, you know, storing our personas, storing our guidelines and keywords that we're going after. And a combination of some of the, the tools Clear Voice has, including its marketplace, its content studio. Um, overall, Clear Voice is a solution that will help you pay all your writers from one secure account. So I urge everyone to take a look at it. It's a demo.clearvoice.com where you can take it for a test drive um, and let them know your friends at Content Pros sent you over. So just going back to the first point you were making there on that last answer. And you know, you talked about engaging with customers. And I think that's something that is so obvious, but obviously we don't do it. And you know, you know, you touched on some really good ways that we can actually get out of the office, talk to people, engage with people face-to-face or over a call. Um, But I'm wondering what your opinion is of some of us who have kind of taken, you know, that engagement approach, but maybe in more of an automated way where we're letting the research come to us. And I don't know how familiar you are with solutions, say, like Crazy Egg or Hotjar. Um, you know, for any of our listeners who don't do this, these are tools for the web that will actually allow us to track how people are engaging on our website. You know, where do they click? You know, your mouse is kind of like your eyeballs. Where is it looking to? Um, you know, what's your opinion of us generalizing some of the information we get from some of those systems? And is that something that you encourage, discourage, and how would you compare that with the actual real engagement, right? Um, you know, sometimes people won't tell you the truth, you know, when you engage them, whereas sometimes this data may actually be more accurate. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And so I've got a a multi-part answer, and I'll get to tell an anecdote, too. So I think it's wonderful to use data, especially if you're collecting it in large quantities. And it's meant to help you inform your assumptions or inform your decisions. So if, if Crazy Egg is showing you that something very specific is constantly being clicked on, sure, you don't necessarily know 100% why, but you have an understanding of what people are doing. Or if you see that people are getting to a certain point and not moving forward, you you know something is going on here and we need to take a closer look. And so I think that 
analytics, big data, all that are going to be playing a huge role. And the point where I've seen it fail um, is with some of our really large clients where there was no no real forethought given to what they wanted to do with the data. And then after collecting it for a period of months or however long, you know, bringing somebody in and saying, okay, make sense of this. You really need to articulate a plan at the beginning as far as what you want to look at and why. And I think that that's helpful for keeping you focused. And you know, if you see some crazy outliers, you might want to go explore them. But if you don't have uh, a defined route or a defined outcome in terms of, okay, I want to help understand what people are doing when they go through a certain workflow or where they're coming from and what they immediately do next, that it becomes sort of like you know, just trying to do this scattershot approach where, okay, you're hoping you're finding meaningful information or making some meaningful patterns. But I think, and from my perspective, that where it really becomes powerful and tells a great story is when you do combine it even with a small amount of research. And I can give you a real example as we were working with a, a media company and uh, in order to order their services, people had to, and they were offering business services. So, uh, you know, think business satellite, business television. Um, they had a workflow and what they when we were doing some testing on it, we were having people go through and pretending to order their services. And we found out on the first day of our testing, 10 out of 10 people were unable to complete the workflow because when it asked for them to enter the name of their company, that field would not accept anything except for letters. So people who had an ampersand or a period or a number, one, one company had the number four in their name, it wouldn't accept that and it would come up with a message that would simply say, you've entered an invalid name, but it wouldn't even say why. So on the flip side, we were able to look at their analytics and say, look at the massive drop-off you're having on this specific page. People are not able to figure out a, you should be accepting everything in this field because why would it matter? Why should it matter that somebody has a, a period or an ampersand in their business name? You should be you know, reflecting the amount of respect that you, you're okay with that being something that a business has in its name. But then also, you're not giving an appropriate error message that says why somebody can't continue into the workflow. So at least if you weren't going to accept ampersands, you could say in the message, this field only accepts letters as characters in your name and that you can work with the customer on the other end once they've signed up or gone through the workflow to, to correct the name of their company. But we were able to work with our analytics team to say, like, this is a real thing. Like, it wasn't just something that showed up in testing as a problem. You're seeing a drastic drop-off from traffic that has gotten to this point and hasn't completed the transaction. And we're going to now say we have a story as to why. It's because they're not able to complete this form or figure out why this specific field isn't accepting what they see as a perfectly valid business name. Yeah, that, that's a definitely a, a great story to share, Victor, about the the importance of, of really paying attention to your data and, and looking at this stuff. So just to, to take it kind of one step further, very often 
maybe a maybe a, a business would create a website, create some content without doing proper uh, user experience research, and they just kind of put it up there. And let's say you came in kind of after the fact, mm-hmm. almost almost like a script doctor, and they said, "Well, this isn't really performing. Can can we kind of reverse engineer some reverse engineer some?" user experience in here, what, what would you advise someone to do? Like, how do you, how do you kind of make it a phase two and say, well, now we're going to follow all the proper steps we should have followed in the first place? Well, let me just say that never happens. But <laughs> if, if that were to happen, no, I'm kidding. Uh, that is one of our most frequent things that we find, you know, something's been released to the wild. Maybe it's been out for a few years even, and now it's time to take a look at it as opposed to having done so right off the bat. So one of the things that, that we do and that I would recommend is doing a very structured assessment. Uh, we have a tool that is not publicly available, but that versions of it can be found with ease of, of searching online that's just called a UX assessment or user experience assessment. And, and it's a categorical checklist that says, okay, look at these different factors related to your visual design. Are you meeting these? Are, are, you know, are you making your content visually appealing? Are you using colors that highlight what's important on the page? Um, and, and doing that for a bunch of different categories. So there might be terminology. Are you using jargon? Are you communicating clearly? Is everything grammatically correct? And so we recommend going through that. And then what we do from there is we will often provide uh, design concepts that can be a blueprint for short-term fixes and then also this more long-term what you might evolve to in the future. Because you know some things might be on fire and you want to fix them right away, And they might be easy to do, like if you have a bunch of broken links or uh, not accurate information on your site, all that's going to take for you to do is is update it and and make it correct versus, okay, the experience is very poor and the the whole interface needs to be updated. That's a much longer term, bigger investment, and so you want to have a strategy for that. Now, in terms of whether... You're starting from scratch and you have that luxury of building your website or your experience or you're three years down the road and you realize, oh, no, we didn't have a good plan. One thing we strongly advocate that I strongly advocate is having a level of consistency. And so if you're going to decide you're going to move forward in a certain way, you need to define what we call design patterns, and so each page will have a look and a feel that's similar. You know how sometimes you'll be in a site and you'll go from one page to another and you feel like maybe you've gone from the year 2010 to the year 1998, and it's because there was no consistency when something was done 10 years ago, then it was updated but the whole thing, the whole site wasn't updated, only the new pages that were added on. And so it gives a very disjointed feel when someone's using your experience, and it can cause a lot of confusion, too. So, uh, again, the big media company that we were working with um, from my previous example, they had multiple experiences going on simultaneously. And depending on where you clicked, you might see a, a completely different logo for the same company. And that's just like, 
really, it's not in line with any kind of a best practice, but it's something where if you define your standards and you say, on every page, our logo looks like this, on every page, a buy now button looks like this, and you start to implement that, then your experience will slowly start to improve and your users and future customers will be able to not only use your product easier, but they'll start to attach a definition, a style to you. So they'll understand, okay, you know, I'm on this site because things look a certain way. It feels familiar and I know exactly what to do. And this is sort of a language. Your site becomes a language or a tool to communicate with your users or your potential customers and customers. Um, So I really advocate creating standards. And then that way it also doesn't matter if somebody else comes along and starts creating content or starts doing the design, they'll have standards to work from versus making stuff up from, from scratch again. That, that's great advice, Victor. I, I, I love that from the perspective of because it's digital marketing, you constantly have the ability to update and change and revise and bring things into line, but at the same time reminding our listeners that this is not just a set it and forget it kind of world. We really do need to to treat all this, all of our content, all of our sites as active, living, breathing things that we that we update as things move forward. So our our final question today, we like to get to know our guests a little bit. And when you were growing up, Victor, what is it that you wanted to be? Well, I'm definitely a a nerd, so I I confess to that. But I I wanted to be a journalist or an author, somebody who wrote all the time. So I kind of get to do that now, um, especially because I've recently wrote a book. But I also get to do a lot of writing for work, and I get to write for work-related publications in our blog. So I did sort of fulfill that dream, but I think I still dream of you know just being the guy who gets to roll out of bed and and start working on my next great American novel or whatever. So uh, we'll see. (laughs) Awesome. Well, we're glad you you found a way to contribute into the content world. Uh, Maybe not as the journalist, you said, but but an author. Um, You know, encourage people to to check out a little bit more of your background. I'm sure they can find you on LinkedIn, Um, but they can also check out EY Intuitive. If you you Google EY Intuitive, it'll come up. uh, Learn a little bit more. There's a great uh, blog post actually uh, on your site about content and how to think about organizing content and the experience around content. Uh, We'll put that blog post in the show notes as well, uh, where you can check out more about this episode, more about uh, other episodes at contentprospodcast.com. We thank everyone for listening. If you've enjoyed, uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, It's another great place to find more of our episodes. Same place with Stitcher and anywhere else you like to find podcasts. Until next time, though, on behalf of Jeff Cohen at Oracle Marketing Cloud, I'm Randy Frisch at Uberflip. And Victor, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for tuning in to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Clear Voice Content Marketing Software, Convince and Convert, Oracle Marketing Cloud, and by Uberflip, and is produced by Convince and Convert Media. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts.
Podcast imaging by Audio Bag.